Welcome, my name is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and we thank you for taking some time to listen to some audio recordings from the pulpit of the Riverview Baptist Church. Our desire is to show the Lord high, holy, and lifted up, as well as try to be a blessing to those through the Word of God. Please enjoy this message, and we pray that it will be a blessing to your life. Well, if you wouldn't mind to take your copy of the Word of God and turn with me to the Old Testament book of Habakkuk. The Old Testament book of Habakkuk. Now, someone may say, wait, 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 are you trying to trick me? Is that a real book of the Bible? It is. It is found in the section that we call the Minor Prophets. Remember, the Bible is divided out into logical sections. We start off with the five books of the Pentateuch, the five books of the law, the five books of Moses. So we start off with the first five books. After that, we have the 12 books of history. That goes from Joshua and goes all the way through Esther that go through the history of the nation of Israel. After that, we are followed by five poetical books that deal with the hard issues of man. Then we come to five major prophets, which are followed by 12 minor prophets. So if you're keeping track, it's 5, 12, 5, 5, 12, just to help you with the Old Testament division. Now, most people, when they hear the idea of minor prophets, they have a misnomer that these books are not important or they're less important. Where they may be minor in size, they are major in message. And there is a lot of profit that we could get by studying the minor prophets. And as we come to the book of Habakkuk, which is one of my personal favorite books of the Bible, if you're looking for the book of Habakkuk, it's right next to Nahum, if that helps you out. Or if you're looking in the Old Test or the New Testament, you could start from the Gospel record of Matthew and turn the opposite direction. You come to Malachi, Zechariah, Haggai, <coughs> Zephaniah, and then you come to the book of Habakkuk. So it's right near the New Testament, right towards the uh, last part of the Old Testament, if you're looking for it. Only three chapters, but again, this is a, a major book. It's a minor prophet, but it is major in message. And because it's one that's most neglected, the minor, whole minor prophet section, you may hear some things in the next couple of weeks that may be new to you that said, I didn't know the Bible said these things. And I hope that it brings an idea of an excitement of hearing something that you haven't heard before or a book that you haven't studied previously that would be a great encouragement to your heart and to your life as we look forward to Jesus Christ. Notice with me, if you don't mind, in the book of Habakkuk chapter number one. The book of Habakkuk chapter one. And notice with me in Habakkuk one, starting at verse one. Habakkuk one, verse one. Notice this, the burden which Habakkuk the prophet did see. The burden which Habakkuk the prophet did see. And if you're in the habit of marking things in your Bible, would you mark a phrase that we find in the book of Habakkuk in chapter 1 and verse 1 where it says, the burden which Habakkuk did see. And we're going to start with this idea here, a man with a burden. A man with a burden. Now, as we come to the book of Habakkuk, we could see the time frame and the things that are going on here, and it is a reflection of what's going on in our world right now. And we come to a time here of a man with a burden. In fact, the whole theme of the book of Habakkuk would be found in the book of Habakkuk chapter 2 and verse 4. Notice what it says, Behold, the soul which is lifted up is not upright in him, but the just shall live by his faith. 
That's the whole theme of the book of Habakkuk. The just shall live by his faith. This became the Apostle Paul's life verse. So much that the Apostle Paul quoted this three times in the word of God. That the just shall live by faith. The Apostle Paul quoted it in the book of Romans. In the book of Galatians. And then once again in the book of Hebrews. The just shall live by faith. This is the idea here. The just shall live by faith. Now Habakkuk is living in the eve of the captivity of the nation of Judah. The northern kingdom of Samaria has already been wiped off the map by the Assyrians in 722 BC. The southern kingdom of Judah is going to be following suit by follow, uh, being destroyed in 586 BC by the Babylonians. So when we're writing here, this is approximately, just to shoot a, a number, about 600 BC. So in just a few short years, the nation of Judah is going to be gone. It's going to be destroyed. You're living here at a man who is seeing his nation unraveling before his eyes. It is going to be a time where not only the walls of Jerusalem are going to be wiped off, but the temple itself is going to be destroyed. The temple is going to be wiped off the map. It's going to be broken down into rubble and cast throughout the streets. The people are going to be taken into captivity. The people are going to be starving. The people are going to be destroyed. The nation is on the verge of collapse. It's an age of great wickedness with God's judgment straight at hand. And it's during this time that the prophet Habakkuk goes to the Lord in prayer. One of the interesting things about the minor prophets is that most of them are addressed to a group of people. You have Jonah who is going to the city of Nineveh. You got Nahum who is also writing to the city of Nineveh. You got Obadiah who is writing to the nation of Edom. You have Amos who is a southern preacher who goes up north and tries to preach to all those northerners that they would get right. You would have all of these minor prophets that are addressed to a nation. But the book of Habakkuk is different because what we see here is a conversation between the prophet and God. You're going to see as you go through this book that the prophet Habakkuk goes to the Lord in prayer and he begins to pray and say, God, why is these things going on? What are you going to do about it? And to his surprise, God answers him and tells him what he's going to do. And then Habakkuk answers, and then God repeats, uh, gives more information. And what this is, the book of Habakkuk, is a conversation that is recorded between the prophet and his God. And it makes it a unique book. But here is a prophet that has a burden. Here is a prophet that wants the Lord to do something with his nation. He was burdened for what God can do and what God alone can do. And so with this, if you don't mind, I'd like to give you a quick little survey, a backdrop of the book of Habakkuk before we dive in deeper in the next couple weeks. But I want to start off with kind of an overview of this book so we can get a good context. The very first thing I'd like to bring to your attention is the dark hour of human history. The dark hour of human history. Notice with me in the book of Habakkuk chapter 1. The book of Habakkuk chapter 1. And notice with me in verse 1. The burden which Habakkuk the prophet did see. 
O Lord, how long shall I cry? And thou will not hear. Even cry out unto thee of violence. And thou will not save. Why dost thou show me iniquity? And cause me to behold grievance? For spoiling and violence are before me. And there are the that raise up strife and contention. Therefore the law is slacked, and judgment doth never go forth. For the wicked doth compass about the righteous. Therefore wrong judgment proceedeth. Here we have the history of what is going on in the current events of Habakkuk's time. That during Habakkuk's time, notice what is going on in verse 2. How long shall I cry and thou will not hear? That he's crying out and says, God, where are you at? I'm praying and it doesn't seem like anything's being done. I'm watching my nation unfold before me. Even cry out to thee of violence and thou will not save. He said, Lord, look at all the violence that's going on. Look at all the terrible things that are happening that people are doing to one another. How come you're not delivering us from this? How come this is going on? Why, God, why? We'll cover that idea of why in a coming up in a lesson. But again, notice the current events. Verse 3. Why dost thou show me iniquity? He says, God, you've revealed and opened up. Look at the sin that's going on. People don't even realize what they're doing as sin. But with the discernment we looking on, we could say that is not right. That is evil. Look at the response there. This is iniquity. This is sin. And it's going on everywhere. Everyone's involved with it. And cause me to behold grievance. He says, look at these things. This is a grievance. This is a burden. This is something that breaks my heart when I'm looking and beholding these things that are going on. These are heartbreaking. I look at this and it makes me want to weep. And I look at this and I want to cry. And I look at this and it just, my heart is broken. When I'm looking at everything in my nation, it just breaks my heart looking at this and looking at this and looking at that. He says, for spoiling and violence are before me. Boy, if you could take a snapshot of what is going on today and put underneath it a caption, for spoiling and violence are before me. He says, every day I look at my Facebook feed, if they had Facebook back then, and that would be the pictures that he could see. That would be what he could sum up with everything that shows up. For spoiling and violence are before me. He says, and there that raise up strife and contention. As if it was bad enough to look at the spoiling and look at the violence. There are some that are raising up because of this. Strife. And contention. It's almost like he's got the future Facebook Twitter feeds all the way back then. Is there such a thing today where there's groups of people rising up for the purpose of causing strife and contention? We would all say yes. And by the way, it's not just one side. It's all sides. But it's just stirring everything up. Strife and contentions. If you could take another uh, caption. So the first Facebook feed you'd find would almost be said that spoiling and violence. 
Right after that, the next feed that you could find would be rise up strife and contention. It is exactly what's going on. This is the nation that Habakkuk had, not realizing that the judgment of God is right around the corner, but he's looking at his nation and said, it's falling apart. What can be done about this? Look at everything that's going on. If you wanted to take the next Facebook feed, what would it say? Therefore, the law is slacked and judgment doth never go forth. Why? For the wicked doth compass about the righteous. Therefore, wrong judgment proceedeth. He says there are more people who are doing wrong that the law can't do anything about it. And so they do nothing about it. And they're allowing the lawlessness to go on. And the courts are no longer making right judgments because there's more evil people out there than good people, it seems. Or at least they're louder. And he says, this is the nation that I live in. Here is a a man who got a burden. He's looking at his nation. He's looking as it's falling apart. And he's doing the right thing. He's going to God, the only person who could do anything about it. That's the type of world we live in. Most people that I talk about understand that humanly speaking, there is very little that we could do about it. I'm sorry to disappoint you, but your Facebook feed is not going to bring peace to the world. Your next post. It's not going to be, oh, I saw this post. My whole worldview has changed. So that doesn't work. We could see a lot of people that are doing things humanistically, and it's not changing anything. What is the only thing that could be done? God has to work. God and God alone. And so you have a man who's got enough of a burden to do something about it. May I remind us that part of our problem today is that we may be stirred, but we don't have a burden. We're at the place where we could look at these things and say this is awful, but we're not willing to do anything about it because we're still complacent. We're still happy where we're at. We're like, well, that's going on, but I know it's kind of getting close, but it's horrible. I wonder what else is here. What other things can I distract me with? We don't have enough of a burden to do anything about it. Here's a man who looked at his nation and he developed a burden and he did something about it. He went to the only being who could do something about it and he went to God in prayer. But again, he's looking at his nation. He's looking at the things that are going on. Now we know lining up the Bible that Habakkuk is a contemporary of Jeremiah the prophet. Jeremiah the prophet had a ministry that spanned 40 years. And he was the weeping prophet who begged the nation to come back to the Lord. The weeping prophet who begged people to turn back to God before it was too late. In fact, perhaps we could take a snapshot of what was going on in Jeremiah's time and what he is seeing, which is the same time as Habakkuk. And we could get a view from Jeremiah's eyes of the same news feed. Hold your finger here and turn with me, if you don't mind, to the book of Jeremiah, chapter number 36. Jeremiah 36. If you're in the book of uh, Habakkuk, just need to turn over just a few pages over 
and find your way to the book of Jeremiah. You're in the minor prophets section now. The section before that's called the major prophets. They're called major prophets because they're bigger. But they have that same message, we need Jesus. But notice with me in the book of Jeremiah chapter 36. And if you don't mind, I'm just going to read through 36 really quick. Just to kind of give you an overview of what is going on during Habakkuk's time, during Jeremiah's time. By the way, not only do you have Jeremiah, you have Habakkuk. You also have Daniel who's still in Babylon beginning to preach. You have Ezekiel who is getting ready to be called of God to minister to those in Babylon, the Hebrew people that's already been taken. You have a lot of people that are giving warnings to people to get right. God's judgment is right around the corner. We need to do something about it. Notice with me in Jeremiah chapter 36 starting at verse 1. And it came to pass in the fourth year of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, that this word came unto Jeremiah from the Lord, saying, Take thee a roll of a book, and write therein all the words that I have spoken unto thee against Israel, and against Judah, and against all the nations, from the day that I spoke to thee, from the days of Josiah, even to this day. So, Jeremiah, I want you to write down, pen the book of Jeremiah, and this is what is done. This is how we got the book of Jeremiah, that God directed Jeremiah to pen this book that we're reading from right now. Verse 3, it may be that the house of Judah will hear of all the evil which I purpose to do unto them, that they may return every man from his evil way, that I may forgive their iniquity and their sin. Then Jeremiah called Baruch, the son of Nerah, and Baruch wrote from the mouth of Jeremiah all the words of the Lord which he had spoken unto him upon the roll of the book. And Jeremiah commanded Baruch, saying, I am shut up, I cannot go to the house of the Lord. Therefore go thou and read in the roll which thou hast written from my mouth the words of the Lord and the ears of the people in the Lord's house upon the fasting day. And also it shall, uh, thou shalt read him in the ears of Judah that come out of their cities. So Baruch, I want you to go out and I want you to read God's word to the people. Just let God's word do its own work. You don't have to explain it. You don't have to opinionize it. Just read God's word. God's word will do its own work. And so he goes out there and read it. And people, when they heard it, they said, where'd you get this from? And Baruch said, Jeremiah spoke the words and I wrote it down, which is a clear picture of inspiration that God moved holy men of God as the Holy Ghost spake unto them. <laughs> and so they received the word. They heard it. They said, man, people need to hear this. And so they gave it to the king. Notice what happens when the king heard it. Um, notice with me in verse number 20, 21. So the king sent Jehudiai to fetch the roll, and he took it from Elishamah's, the scribe's chamber. And Judiai read it in the ears of the king, in the ears of all the princes, which stood beside the king. Now the king sat in the winter house in the ninth month, and there was a fire in the hearth burning before him. And it came to pass that when Jehudiai had read three or four leaves, he cut it with a penknife and cast it in the fire that was on the hearth until all the roll was consumed in the fire that was on the hearth. Yet they were not afraid. 
neither rent their garments, neither the king nor his servants that heard all these words. So think about this, that God gave them his word, the Holy Bible. And they said, man, the king needs to hear this. And when the king heard the Bible, he stopped them from reading it, grabbed the word of God, cut it up with a penknife, and threw it in the fire, and they watched it burn, and no one batted an eye. They didn't care about the word of God. We don't care what the Bible says. We don't want the Bible to tell us what to do. We'd rather get rid of the Bible. That was the world they lived in. It's a place of violence, of spoiling. It's a place where the laws don't go forth. It's a place where the people disregard God's word. That's the time they live in. By the way, that is the time we live in. Not only do people not only don't care what the Bible says, that on many places in America, the Bible is close to being outlawed. Because it goes against their things. California has already passed a law. Virginia has already passed a law. That what they say is against conversion therapy. Meaning that if someone came up to me and said that they didn't know if I was, they were a boy or a girl. Could I help them? It is against the law in Virginia and California and several other states. For me to take the Bible and show them from the Bible the truth. And now that's just one step away that they are out, going to outlaw. It's already in the law. It just hasn't been enacted as such. That they are no longer able to sell any book that would <coughs> uh, change someone's view of what they are. We already have the laws in several of the states. And the people want it so. We live in that type of time. Doesn't this sound just like the America we live in now? That Habakkuk's looking at this. And he's overviewing it. And he's broken hearted. This is the dark hour of human history. Maybe perhaps I could show you one more passage. Showing the context of the history that they're living in. Notice with me in Psalm 137. Again we're turning back to Habakkuk in just a second. Psalm 137. Now, what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to show you that this is relatable. This isn't just something in the past. This is something that we're dealing with right here and now because we want to see the application. What can we do about this world? I'm giving you the bad news first that you could say, yep, this is what we look like. This is what was on my Facebook feed this morning. This is what they're talking about. This is what happens when I look at the newspaper. All of this is true. Notice with me, if you don't mind, in the book of Psalm 137. Psalm 137. By the rivers of Babylon, there we sat down. Yea, we wept and remembered Zion. We hanged our harps upon the willows in the midst thereof. For there they carried us away captive, requiring of us a song. And they that wasted us required of us mirth, saying, Sing us one of the songs of Zion. How shall we sing the Lord's song in a strange land? If I forget thee, O Jerusalem, let my right hand forget her cunning. If I do remember thee, let my tongue cleave. Or if I do not remember thee, let the, my tongue cling of the roof of my mouth. If I prefer not Jerusalem above my chief joy. Remember, O Lord, the children of Edom in the day of Jerusalem. Who said, raise it, raise it, even to the foundation thereof. When 
What's happening is that when the nation of Judah was being destroyed, you have the neighboring nation of Edom that says, Come on, burn it! Burn it to the ground! By the way, that's why Obadiah was written. Because it said, Hey, you want to laugh at Jerusalem burning down? Judgment's coming worse for you for laughing at God's people and God's judgment. That this should be something to take seriously. But notice if you don't mind in verse 8. O daughter of Babylon who art to be destroyed, happy shall he be that rewardeth thee as thou hast served us. Happy shall be he be that taketh and dasheth thy little ones against the stones. He's, what happened during the destruction of Judah is that they actually took babies and they bashed their heads against the rock. This is a historical thing. And this is what they're singing about. How can we be happy during the time when we're watching the utter destruction of our nation? And the other nations are laughing. And they're happy with it. And we're stuck. What do we do in such a place? Well, this is why the book of Habakkuk is so important. Because it starts off with the burden of Habakkuk the prophet. It starts with a man with a burden. Which brings me to the second thing I want to show you. Not only the dark hour of human history, but I want to show you this. The desperate heart cry for God. What happened is that this led him to the place where he said, God, you have to do something. Part of our problem is that we're not desperate enough to pray. We're good complainers. We're good at telling everyone about how bad things and woe is me. We're glad at being an armchair quarterback and saying this is wrong and this is what it should have done. And to be able to criticize what's going on. But we don't have enough of a burden yet to pray. That is our problem. We're not burdened enough to say, God, we need you. We need revival. We need you to give us life. We need you to do something. God, we need you. That's where Habakkuk finally got to. God, I need you. Notice with me in Habakkuk chapter 3 and verse number 2. Habakkuk chapter 3 and verse 2. Notice this. It says in verse 1, <coughs> A prayer of Habakkuk upon the prophet of Shiganoth. Here's his prayer. O Lord, I have heard thy speech and was afraid. O Lord, revive thy work in the midst of the years. In the midst of the years make known. In wrath, remember mercy. He says, God, we need Revival. Remember, let's define our terms. What is revival? Revival is new life. Revival can come to those only who had life before. Revival is for those who are already believers. Revival affects those who are not believers by making those who are believers right with God. And if they're right with God, they will reach out the world. The problem with our nation is not Washington, it's not Madison, it's not Nashville, it is us. God clearly said in 2 Chronicles 7.14, if my people, 
not other people, but if my people, which are called by my name, and we are, if we call yourself a Christian, that is a follower of Christ. If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, forgive their sins and heal their land. God is not asking for the people in Madison to get right. He's not asking for those in Washington to finally do something. He is asking us to get right with him. That if we become the Christians we ought to be, and we go to the Lord and say, God, we need you. We need you to work. And God gives us revival. He gives us new life. Then if we're right with God, we will be influencing the world around us. But it starts with us. It starts with us. That's the problem, is that the Christians are not right. The Christians are not stirred. The Christians don't want revival. The Christians don't want things fixed. The problem with revival is that Christians don't want it. Because... It requires for us to be right with God. It requires for us to turn away from our wicked ways. It requires for us to humble ourselves. The, one of the problems with Christians is that we're not humble. We're very proud, very arrogant, very much to the place where we say, we're better than you and we're not better. We are different than the world, not better. And God has made us different. The problem is us. And the problem is, is we won't humble ourselves to go to God and say, God, we can't do anything. It has to be you. For us to say, God, we need you to be the answer. For us to finally say there is a solution and the solution is God. We don't like that. Prayer is work. Praying to God for revival is work. It takes time. It takes effort that we don't want to put. It's much easier to complain about how bad things are then actually go to the Lord in prayer and say, God, we need you. We need you. Here we have a desperate cry for God. God, help us. God, we need you. The problem why things are not getting fixed in Jeremiah's day as well as our day is that God's people don't have a burden. We're not burdened. We're not willing to do anything about it. Revival begins in the hearts of people. In this dark hour, we must have a desperate heart and seek for God for revival in our day. And God can do that revival in our lives. So we start off with the dark hour of human history, which brings us to the desperate heart cry to God. God, we need revival. God, revive our work in the midst of the years. In wrath, remember mercy. We know the judgment of God is deserving. We know that our country deserves it. God, remember wrath, mercy in the midst of wrath. We know it's coming, but Lord, give us mercy. Do something in the midst of our day. Which brings us to the last thing here. Dependence upon God. Dependence upon God. This again is going to be another key. Dependence upon God. Again, one of the problems that we have is that we don't want to depend or trust in God. We may give a token prayer if we get there. 
but to trust in God. How do you know that someone's trusting in God? How do you know that they're depending on God? I'm glad you asked. Look with me in the book of Habakkuk chapter 3. At the very end of it, it says something strange. Now, the book of Habakkuk, as I've been telling you, it's a dark hour. It's a place where, where things are going wrong. The judgment of God's around the corner. Everything's falling apart. But notice with me in chapter 3 and verse 17. It says, although the fig tree shall not blossom, neither shall the fruit be in the vines, the labor of the olive tree shall fail, and the field shall yield no more meat. The flock shall be cut off from the fold, and there is no herd in the stalls. Now, that sounds pretty dire. The finances have wiped out. People's livelihoods are gone. People don't know how they're going to sustain. The food stores are gone. This is how bad it is. Although all these things fail, notice verse 18. Yet, I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. The Lord God is my strength. It says yet. It's called living in the yet. Do you know that your circumstances do not determine your joy? God determines your joy. What is joy by the way? Joy is not happiness. Joy is a peace of God that passeth all understanding. And as long as God's on the throne, we can have joy. Even when everything is falling apart. If you are trusting in God, you can have a peace that passeth all understanding. What is that peace that passeth all understanding? A peace that doesn't make sense. How in the world can you have peace? Because I have a God that's sitting on the throne. But you can see the markets, they're being destroyed. But God's still on the throne. But all these things are going on. It looks like a war zone out there. But God is still on the throne. Living in the yet. There was an old evangelist by the name of John R. Rice. And he was a famous preacher. And when he would preach, a lot of times preachers would come. And they would ask him to sign his Bible. And one guy who came in line saw John R. Rice. And John R. Rice recognized him and said, Oh, how are you doing? And the guy says, well, I'm doing all right under the circumstances. John Arise just looked over his glasses and said, what are you doing under them? What are you doing under the circumstances? We don't have to live under the circumstances. We have a God that's on the throne. The world can fall apart down here, yet... I will rejoice in the Lord our God. That's how you can tell if you're trusting in God. Can you sing? Can you rejoice? Things can be falling apart. And I'm not saying that there's some things that make us feel sad. That's why I'm also saying that it's not a place where you got to glue a smile on your face and hi. Because there's some times that we're not smiling. But we can have a peace if you're trusting in God. People not being right around you should not determine your joy. Your empty wallets do not determine your joy. Facebook does not determine our joy. The news doesn't determine our joy. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord my God. We can trust God. That is the whole thing that's going on right now. There's many times that God said, I put these circumstances in your life to see you, to try you, to see what you will do, to see if you will still serve me. You know what these circumstances have done right here? 
is that they've proven whether Christians trust God or not. It's one thing to say God's good and God's still great when the bills are paid, your health is doing well, everything's going well around you. It's another thing to say God is still good and God is still right when our nation is under judgment. When everything's still falling apart. God is still good and He's still right. He's still on the throne. Can you trust Him? Let me tell you, that dependence on God is a key on revival. Because God is the one that does it. Revival is God's people turning to Him in obedience. And God pouring out His Spirit as a result. Now... <laughs> God's the one who does it. We have our responsibility. God does his responsibility. Can you trust God? A lot of people are walking around with the poochy lip disease. You know that one, right? Nobody likes me. Everybody hates me. Think I'll eat some worms. Woohoo! And everyone who's around us just hears about how bad we are. We all know people that it seems like that cartoon rain cloud is following them. And that wherever they go, that rain cloud just follows around them. That's not how God desired us to live. Almost want to look at people and say, where is the peace that God promised? Where is the victory? Well, God's always offered it. We just won't trust in Him. We won't depend upon Him. But God can give revival. It doesn't matter how bad things are. God is still good and God is still right. And that we have a responsibility to pray. And if we pray and we put it upon God, we cast it at his feet, as we often say. As we trust him, then we should be able to walk away and say, God's still good and God's still right. I can trust him. I don't know what God's going to do, but I can trust that he's going to do something. Yet, I will rejoice in the Lord our God. Is that a true statement for you? Can you live in the yet, no matter what the circumstances can you yet rejoice in the Lord our God? Now, what I just gave you today was an overview, the summary of the book of Habakkuk. In the next 12 weeks, we're going to walk through the book of Habakkuk piece by piece and giving this idea of, Lord, send a revival. And I hope that you have that desire, that we come to the place where we look and say, the only hope that our nation has is revival. God doing something. And that as God's people that we will put our dependence upon him. We will trust him. And that we don't have to live in the place where we're just waiting till Jesus comes and holding up. But we can still see victory. Even in the midst of the years. Thank you for listening to this audio message. This is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and I encourage you to take this information that you just received and make a specific decision to follow after the Lord. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, let me beg you to take the time to receive Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. If you are saved, I encourage you to make a decision in your life to help you get closer with the Lord. If there's anything specific we can do to be a blessing or to pray for you, we encourage you. Look us up on the internet at riverviewbc.com. Once again, that's riverviewbc.com. Or if you would prefer to call us, you can give us a call at area code 920 530-6308. Once again, that number is 920-530-6308. 
If there's anything we can do to be a blessing or an encouragement to you, please let us know. We would love to make ourselves available. Thank you.